We just heard the story of Christ raising Lazarus from the dead. Some of us may have heard this story many times. Uh, For some of you, this may be the first time you've heard this story. But for the first time for me, I read a question about the passage that I never considered before. Why doesn't Lazarus speak? When Jesus heals someone in the Gospel of John, there's often a conversation after the miracle. Many men and women and children in the Gospels who are healed by Jesus without the help of medicine often ask him questions and they talk afterwards. But of all the times Lazarus is mentioned in the Gospel of John, he never speaks a single word, even after being raised from the dead. And that question without an answer led to some other questions. Why are these three siblings, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, all grown adults living together together under the same roof? Typically, Jewish men and women would have married young and they would have lived with their spouses. The fact that all three of these siblings seem to be single is strange at the time, to say the least. Why would Mary and Martha forego the financial security of marriage? Also, why is their house called the home of Martha? In this culture, the father would have typically been the head of the household and given that responsibility to his son if he had one. So why does Martha receive that role instead of Lazarus? One interpretation from Jean Vanier is that Lazarus had some sort of developmental disabilities. Vanier worked with people throughout his life who had these disabilities, and his explanation seems to make sense of the fact that Martha was the head of the house and not Lazarus. It makes sense of the fact that Lazarus never speaks a word because maybe he was unable to speak. It makes sense of the fact that all three of these siblings were single because his two sisters might have refused marriage proposals in order to take care of their baby brother. Now, there is an ancient way of reading scripture practiced by Ignatius of Loyola. And what you try to do is enter into a story in the Gospels and slow down. You don't sprint through the passage. You savor each and every word. You ask questions about the characters, where they've been, where they're headed, what they're doing right now, their background, their motives, what explains all of the empty space in scripture. So, this morning we're going to practice the way of Ignatius. I'm going to retell the story of Christ raising Lazarus from the dead as if Lazarus had some sort of disability. And we're going to see if that interpretation could shed any light on this passage. Two miles east of Jerusalem, there was a young Jewish couple who got married in their hometown, a sleepy little village called Bethany. Early on in their marriage, they had uh, two girls back to back within 18 months of each other. And these two girls had two very big personalities, Martha and Mary. Martha was the queen bee. She ran the whole house and Mary was the drama queen. But these two sisters were inseparable. They loved each other and and quickly realized they were the best of friends. When they got older, their mom and dad gave them some surprising news one day. They were expecting another baby, and this baby was not planned. 
Now, the sisters weren't so sure about this new plan. This third girl, and they knew it was going to be a girl, she could ruin everything. I mean, these two sisters were the best friends, and a third would totally change the dynamic. And then came another surprise because it happened to be a baby boy. And for the first year or so, the sisters weren't so sure about Lazarus. I mean, he took all of mom and dad's attention, but the whole family actually noticed something different about their brother. He didn't talk at all. He smiled and he laughed and he played and they loved him, but he just never learned to talk. Mom and dad sat Mary and Martha down for a family meeting, and they told them that their brother was different. That's all they said. But the bottom line is that would never change the fact that they love Lazarus. And now the two sisters had a mission, and they never hesitated from it one bit. They were going to take care of their younger brother no matter what. And as the years went on, different young men from around Bethany would come along with marriage proposals for Mary and Martha. But both sisters, without batting an eye, said no to each young man. Now, this was great at first, but as their mom and dad aged, their parents worried about how their kids would get by. I mean, Lazarus couldn't manage the house. He couldn't take over dad's business. And years went by with this cloud hanging over the family. What would they do when mom and dad were gone? Mom and dad weren't getting any younger. And after dad passed away, it was only a matter of time until his loving wife died too. Now Mary And Martha, with no husbands and no financial security that came through husbands, had to run the house and take care of their brother all on their own. Now, one day, an up-and-coming rabbi came to their village. And the older sister heard some men speaking outside of their home. So she walked outside to see this rabbi with these 12 men standing behind him quite uncomfortably. The rabbi wasn't looking at her. He was actually looking at her younger brother who was sitting on a chair next to the doorway. And they were both just smiling at each other as the rabbi spoke to him. His name is Lazarus. He doesn't talk, said Martha. I like that about him, said the rabbi. What's your name? My name's Martha. How can I help you? Well, my friends and I were wanting a place in the shade to rest. Martha said, why don't you come in? And the rabbi and his disciples shuffled into their small, modest home. The rabbi sat in a chair above his disciples as they reclined around him, and he almost began to teach them. But Martha could hear her sister coming from a mile away, and as she bust into the living room, she yelled with delight and curiosity, Martha, what are all these men doing here? The younger sister turned to the man who was sitting above the rest, and she said, who are you? And he said, my name is Jesus, and you are? The color drained out of her face. She had heard of him. She said, my name's Mary. And Jesus said, I was just telling my friends a story. Do you want to hear it? She said, of course I do. I love stories. So she plopped down right in the middle of all of these 12 burly disciples, and they all looked at each other nervously and uncomfortably. Rabbis didn't usually let women sit among their disciples, but Jesus had been doing this without any hesitation at all, so they just accepted it. Now, right as Jesus was about to speak, he got interrupted again. 
this teenage boy, Lazarus, who he had been talking to, came in from outside and stood next to Jesus, reached down and took his hand because he, well, he loved to hold hands. And Jesus smiled as he held the hand of Lazarus. And he looked at this unique family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and he loved them. Now, as time went on, this up-and-coming rabbi became more famous or infamous, depending upon your perspective. He decided to go across the Jordan River. He decided to get out of the limelight and retreat for a while. Uh, he was baptized at the Jordan River, and he began his ministry there, so he, got, he wanted to go back and pray and retreat. But as soon as he arrived, he received a message calling him back. And the message was quite simple. It said, Lord, the one you love is sick. And the messenger said, this is from Mary and Martha. Jesus thanked the messengers and he turned to his disciples and he said with utter confidence, this sickness will not end in death. And the disciples just took a huge sigh of relief. They all felt so reassured Lazarus wasn't going to die. I mean, they had seen Jesus heal people from a distance before, so they all went back to their business. They thought things were going to go back to normal. But two days later, Jesus starts to pack his bags. He told them that they were going back to Judea. Now, they asked him what in the world he was thinking. The last time they were in Judea, they almost got killed by a mob, and Jesus told them, well, the reason we need to go back to Judea is because I need to wake up Lazarus. And the disciples looked at each other, and no one really knew what to say. So one brave disciple went forward and said, uh, Jesus, don't, don't we want Lazarus to sleep? I mean, everybody needs to get their rest in order to get better, right, Jesus? And Jesus' face changed, and he said, he's not asleep. Lazarus is dead. And they had no idea what to say. I mean, Jesus had just told them a few days ago that the sickness would not end in death. Lazarus would not die. Was, was this a lie? Was this just false reassurance? What could have he possibly meant when he says that the sickness would not end in death and then Lazarus dies? And on top of it all, they would be returning to enemy territory. I mean, once they arrived, they could all be dead men. So they just pack their bags in silence. They're each wondering, what is this trip for? Why are we going back? It's dangerous, and we're going to see a dead man? Thomas, who was trying to encourage the rest of the disciples and just trying to be brave himself, tells the other disciples, well, let's just go die with him. It was a 20 mile journey from the Jordan River to Bethany, but it felt like the green mile to their execution. But when they had the village in sight, Jesus was not primarily concerned about the 12 disciples. What he had on his mind was this little family he loved, these two older sisters and their baby brother. He saw Martha up ahead, and she had the same walk she always had, like she was always running late to some meeting. And they embrace, and they greet each other, and she says very matter-of-factly, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Now Jesus says to her, you know your brother will rise again. 
And Martha knew and believed everything Jesus taught, and she said, yes, I know that he will, he will rise again on the day of the Lord. Jesus nodded his head, that was true, but the day of the Lord was not what Jesus was talking about. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm not just talking about an event in the long distant future, I'm talking about a person. I'm talking about me. He said, the one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe me? She looked right back at Jesus and said, yes, Lord, you are the Messiah. You're the Son of God, the one who is going to come into the world. And Jesus said, good. Now go get Mary. Martha gave up her brisk walk and sprinted back to the house. She slammed open the door and she called Mary's name and she said, Mary, Jesus is here. And in a flash, Mary stands up and runs to Jesus. Now, the men and women from Jerusalem who had come to sit Shiva with Mary looked around at each other. This wasn't part of any of the normal funeral traditions they had. So they got up and followed Mary and they thought, well, maybe she's just going to go to the tomb and we should go with her. Now, when Mary got to Jesus, the words of her older sister just spilled out from the younger sister's mouth. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Perhaps they had had many conversations in the past four days grieving their brother, and they just always landed on one idea. If Jesus had been here, if he had been present, he would have healed Lazarus, and Lazarus would not have died. Jesus looks at Mary. And he looks at Martha, and he looks at the crowd of grieving Jewish men and women who are coming up to him. And, and so often, Jesus felt differently than those around him. He was composed when they were anxious. He was passionate when they were apathetic and uncaring. And he was generous when others were stingy. But now his heart was aligned with those around him. He shared the grief they felt in their bones. He shared their love for Lazarus. He shared the ache and emptiness in his gut of someone gone. He shared the anger at death for stealing their friend. He looked at each tear streaming down Mary's face. He looked at each pale mourner emptied of joy. He looked at Martha's silent fury at the loss of her little brother. He saw the victims of his enemy and through clenched teeth, he asked, where have you laid him? The crowd replied, come and see, Lord. Now that phrase, come and see, meant a lot to Jesus. When Jesus was gathering his first disciples, they asked him where he was staying, where he was living. And so he invites them with the phrase, come and see. When Nathaniel was kind of on the fence about Jesus and he asked Philip, hey, Philip, can anything good come from Nazareth? Because I don't really think anything can. And Jesus came from Nazareth. Is he really worth it? Philip said, Nathaniel, come and see. This was almost a catchphrase for the uninitiated who weren't so sure about Jesus. Come and see was an invitation to not just imagine what Jesus might be like, but to actually see him in action and see his heart on display. And now he is told, come and see. 
He told people to come and see that he has life, that he is life, and he gives life abundantly. But now he's told to come and see death. And that's when he weeps. His whole body heaves with unhappy tears. And he doesn't wipe them away. After a short walk away from the village, they round the corner and see the grave. Typically, caves were used as ancient Jewish cemeteries. So in front of this particular cave with a stone rolled in front of the entrance, there's this procession of grieving men and women led by Jesus. Jesus is in front. Mary and Martha are behind him on his right and his left. The Twelve disciples followed a little bit farther back, and the mourners from Jerusalem were at the end of the procession. And the noise dies down into a still silence. And Jesus says to no one in particular, take away the stone. Now Martha speaks over his shoulder and says, Lord, it's been four days since he died. I mean, he, I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's going to smell. She, she's trying to avoid the humiliation of this rotting corpse of her brother. And Jesus says, he reassures her, I know what we will smell. I just want to show you something. Trust me. A few of the disciples walk up to the stone. They push it aside. And Martha's right, this putrid stench comes pouring out of the tomb. It's like death is taunting them with this disgust that they feel for this one that they had loved. And the disciples turn their faces away and they they walk back to, to their spots in the funeral procession. And then Jesus prays, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I say this for the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus knows the future. He knows that word will get around about what he's going to do next. He knows that some of the mourners present who witnessed this miracle are going to go back to Jerusalem and they're going to report that miracle to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees will call an emergency meeting, an urgent gathering of the Sanhedrin. And when they meet, some of the Pharisees will ask, Guys, what are we doing? There is this man, Jesus, who is performing many signs and many miracles. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and they will take away both our temple and our nation. And one of them, of the Pharisees, will stand up and say, It is better for Jesus to die than the Romans to come in and kill us all. From that day on, they plot to take Jesus' life. It is what Jesus does at the tomb of Lazarus that is one of the dominoes that leads to his death on the cross. As Jesus stares at the cave of Lazarus with a stone across the entrance, he knows that if he does what he's thinking about doing, he will end up in his own cave with a stone across the entrance. And then, without any hesitation at all, He speaks with authority. Lazarus, come out. 
the procession of men and women all look and peer into the cave's darkness. And they don't see anything. Any light, any movement, any change. And then several things happen at once. A man, upright, with grave clothes wrapped around him, shuffles to the front of the cave. And Now, most of the mourners from Jerusalem gasp, and some of them faint, and Mary and Martha clutch onto the arms of Jesus before they collapse to the ground in shock because Lazarus is alive. And he doesn't really understand what's going on. He thought he was in Mary and Martha's house, his sister's house that he grew up in, and Now he's walking out of a cave one second later, and he doesn't really know how to unravel the grave clothes. He just knows his sisters are on the ground, and they they look like they're crying, and he knows that Jesus is standing there smiling back at him, but he feels kind of confused about this wrapping around him. And so Jesus says to the disciples, take off his grave clothes and let him go. And a few of the disciples rush up to Lazarus and they start pulling off each linen strap around his torso and one is around his legs and they're taking the ones off his legs and and they can feel the heat raiding off of this very alive and functioning body. And finally, Lazarus is able to move. And he walks straight to Jesus and Mary and Martha. And they are speechless, just like Lazarus has been his whole life. And they stand up and they just kiss his cheeks over and over and over and over again like big sisters would. And and he reaches down and he takes Jesus' hand. Because Lazarus has always loved holding hands. And Jesus looks at this unique family of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And he loved them. This sermon series has been called Come and See. It's an invitation to you to get to know the real Jesus, who he is. And each week we've looked at the miracles he has performed. We saw him save this groom and his family from humiliation by turning water into wine at the wedding. The second sign we saw was that he healed this Gentile official's terminal Gentile official's son's terminal illness. We saw him restore an invalid who had been paralyzed for 38 years. We see him feed a crowd of thousands by multiplying bread and fish. He walks on water and guides his disciples' boat to shore. He gives sight to a man born blind. And now he has raised a man from the dead. And each of those miracles show his power. He can transform one substance into another. He can heal without medicine. He can undo paralysis and blindness. He can multiply food. He has control over nature and even death. But each of his miracles show his character. He wants to remove shame and guilt from our souls. He wants to restore sons to their fathers. He wants the sick to be given life. He tests us because he wants to improve us and shape us and transform us. He wants us to find Sabbath rest. He wants to meet our physical and spiritual needs. He wants to conquer our fears. He wants to free us from suffering and sin 
and death. So what does it mean about Christ's character that he would raise Lazarus from the dead? I think it means that he is willing to die to resurrect another man from death. And Lazarus isn't a king, a needed person in the world's eyes. He's just a baby brother who needs his sisters to take care of him. Jesus doesn't only raise needed people. He raises needy people. All of us are like Lazarus. We need someone to take care of us. This is who our Lord is. And I never saw it before. I mean, I've seen resurrection as kind of the defeat of death. I've seen resurrection as a basis for courage in the midst of fear. I've seen Christ's resurrection of other people as a demonstration of his power. I mean, he can, he can resurrect people as easy as we wake up someone from sleep. But I've never thought that Christ raises us from death just because he loves us. He doesn't love us because we've earned it or because we have something to offer him or because we could go on without him or the world needs us so much. He doesn't need a reason to love us. He simply loves us just because. And he doesn't only raise needed people, important people in the world's eyes. He only raises needy people. He refuses for death to have the final say. And this is who I want all of us to come and see Just see him, look at his miracles and see his power and see his love. He loves you so much. He will not sit idly by and watch you die. He will not accept it. At the end of all things, he will come back and he will call us out of our graves because he is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, even though he dies, will live again.